The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. And I'm grateful for, grateful for you uh, who've stayed connected with us through this time. Uh, we love you. We uplift you. Uh, we can't wait to get back together. But please know how cherished you are this day. And really grateful to have the honor of continuing our Back to Basics series today on evolved spirituality. And today we're talking about uh, empowered communication, taking our relationships to the next level. And I'd like to begin a, with a quote from Ernest Holmes. And all my quotes from Holmes today are from his book, This Thing Called You, which is, in my mind, his, his masterwork. He shares, the greatest gift life could have made to you is yourself. You are a spontaneous, self-choosing center in life. In the great drama of being, the great joy of becoming, the certainty of eternal expansion. You could not ask for more, and more could not have been given. When I reflect on the many gifts this teaching has given me, the most essential is what I would call a, a consciousness of wholeness. It's the ability to see both with and as the sacred. To see a divine cord that runs through all of life. To behold myself as an expression of sacred divinity. To behold all as an expression of sacred divinity. Now, to be honest, for some people, we have to dig a little bit harder to find it than with others, but it's there. That consciousness of wholeness has given me the ability, I feel, to see life as it truly is and to remember in my heart always the aspirations that we can do better, that I can do better, that we can be better. The second great gift that this teaching has given me is a, a little bit more covert, and it's the topic today, and it's the gift of communication. This teaching has given me the gift of listening. It has given me the gift of beholding the dignity in every person I interact with, and hopefully I'm able to see it, in order to be respectful. It's given me the ability to be authentic and to hear my own inner voice. And this blessing has helped me find success in relationships, in my profession, in so many different ways. It's a debt that can't be repaid. And whenever I start a class, like Beyond Limits, this Tuesday night, starting at 6.30 p.m., I always review the sharing guidelines and I know for some students, it may seem like we're just going through the motions, but to me, it's probably the most important thing we do in our course. The first guideline is sacred listening. Not listening just in the sense of hearing one another, but sacred listening, where I can allow myself to be fully present to the person that's sharing like it's a spiritual event where I can put down the book in my phone 
and be fully present to however spirit speaks to the individual that's sharing and to attempt to do so without judgment or without rehearsing what it is that I want to say. Very important, very powerful. The second is to speak from personal experience. It's so easy when someone's sharing to want to interject or give them advice or share uh, my feelings on what they said. But to me, it's even more powerful to share from my own personal experience in life about the topic at hand. The third is confidentiality. And many of us would define confidentiality as not sharing one another's secrets. But to me, uh, it's deeper than that. Confidentiality in precious relationships or in a, a class, for example, is about holding the sacredness of the space, honoring the sanctuary that we've held together, realizing that when we talk about what we've talked about in the group, it's sometimes not in the same sacred container. I think what I just shared about confidentiality is quite profound, but if I shared it with the lady standing behind me and the line at 7-Eleven, it may come off uh, as not so holy and perhaps even as creepy. The fourth guideline is authenticity, which to me doesn't just mean being aware of how I'm feeling, but it means really getting in touch with how I feel so that I can share from my heart in a sincere way. It's taking that time with myself to articulate my feelings and my thoughts so I'm not just processing aloud, but connecting with the heart space. Now, there are a few things I don't usually tell the students about these guidelines that I'm going to share with you today. The first is that these guidelines are pretty much impossible to follow. That doesn't mean we don't try anyways, but they're very hard to keep. Have you ever tried listening to someone without judgment, without rehearsing what it is that you're going to say? It's not easy to do. Have you ever tried to hold back from giving someone advice when you know they can probably take care of themselves and just share from your personal experience instead? Not an easy thing to do. To uphold that confidence that sacredness of our relationships and all of our words, not easy to do. And to be sincere all the time, good luck. Alone we are sincere, Emerson once said, at the entrance of another person, hypocrisy begins. The second thing I don't always share with the students is that the class will only go as deep as we follow these guidelines. The better we follow these guidelines, the deeper we will go. It doesn't matter how charming the teacher is, Beyond Limits starts Tuesday, 6.30 p.m., or how awesome the curriculum is, and that curriculum is awesome as well, but it's really about our ability to create shared sacred space to go deep with one another and to learn from one another. The third thing is and this is the covert part about communication, is everything we teach is really about taking these sharing guidelines and applying them to your everyday life. Have you tried sacred listening with your partner? Have you tried speaking from your own personal experience with your kids? Can you try keeping that consciousness of confidentiality with all of your friendships? 
Can you be authentic with your folks or those people who perhaps you sometimes find yourself in conflict or in distrust with? See, if you can take these sharing guidelines and you can apply them to your everyday life, you will have mastered the science of mind. You will have mastered this teaching. Because where the philosophy is about this consciousness of wholeness, the application is in the practice of this good communication. And just like in a class, when we follow the guidelines, the deeper we go, so it is with your everyday life. When you can practice sacred listening, sincerity, confidentiality, upholding sanctuary, being sanctuary wherever you are. You will go deeper and deeper into the truth of who you are and it will show up as so many fruits in your life. Holmes tells us in this thing called you, no matter what the negations of yesterday may have been, your affirmations of today may rise triumphant over them. If you listen to peace, you will experience it. If you listen for truth, you will hear it. If you listen to power, you will receive it. If you listen to wholeness, you will discover it. It's all there. It's all there, my friends. But are you listening? Is your heart open to the divine secrets that the divine always knows? that we need only admit in our lives to come forward. You know, this topic of communication is a, is a very relevant one. As so many of us in this COVID time perhaps have experienced breakdowns of communication in our personal life. We see the negative discourse that can show up on social media and the seemingly totally broken down communications in civic life. It's a relevant topic, and the ministers and myself have decided that we're going to do something different at Mile High this year, and that we're going to embrace an initiative of evolved communication. Think of it as kind of a theme for the year, not that we're going to talk about every week or every class is going to be about, but we're going to pay attention this year to really focusing on improving our communications with spirit with our own inner self, in our relationships, and in the public square. And we've actually written up some intentions. I'm going to read through them uh, as they show up here. And what I invite you to do is to to note the ones that, that resonate most with you. Let's start with the inner. I want to listen more intently and compassionately to myself. I want to feel I am emotionally available to support other people. In the social spheres, I want to talk about the major issues facing our country beyond partisan divisions and pessimism. I want to learn how great spiritual teachers like Martin Luther King Jr. have used powerful communication techniques to bring about meaningful change. In terms of the spiritual, I want to feel more connected with spirit in all areas of my life, improving that spiritual rapport. 
I want to know how to create an environment for meaningful connection and intimacy to take place. And lastly, in all of our relationships, I want to put forgiveness first, not last, in my relationships. I want a romantic partnership that works. I want a better rapport with my family. Do any of those resonate with you? And what you'll find on, on our website, check it out sometime today, uh, milehighchurch.org slash communication, and you'll see that we're calendaring things, it's coming together, that speak to these direct intentions. And I'm going to share the three that most resonate with me, but I invite you, to, looking at that list, to choose the three that resonate most with you, and you'll actually see some of the messages and programming beginning this Tuesday night with Reverend Simon Shadowlight's Compassionate Communication class on, on inner communication and self-empathy. You'll see all the things that we're doing, and this is going to allow all of us not only to stay connected as community, but to be examples of evolved communication within ourselves, in our spirituality, with one another, and in the public sphere, because our families need it. Our community needs it. And for damn sure, our country needs it right now as well. And we can be the beacon of evolved communication for ourselves and for others. When I think of the intentions that most resonate for me in my heart, the first one, listening more intently to myself, is the first one that, that really strikes me. I've learned in my relationships, especially relationships where I find conflict, that it's usually, no matter how annoying the person may be, it's usually not them, but it's my own inner communication that's leading to those issues. Uh, case in point, uh, about a year ago, it was before COVID, so it feels like 10 years ago, uh, my wife and I took um, our one-year-old at the time, Nancy June, to the Children's Museum in downtown Denver. And I had uh, Nancy, and we were in the, the toddler, kind of a play area, and she's just one, so I'm very watchful of her, and I kind of lead her through and show her where the slides are and uh, places where she can climb up, and um, it, it was kind of mediocre, it was just fine. And so we went and explored the rest of the museum. And it didn't take long because a lot of it was for older kids. So we were done really fast. And my wife mentioned that it would probably be a good idea to go back to the play area. And I mentioned to my wife that, uh, you know, it was a little bit boring there. And my wife pointed out, well, if you just let Nancy June be, perhaps she'll find the space more fun and adventurous than you did. And I took it very rationally as a complete and utter attack on my ability of being a parent and who I am as a, as a person. And so uh, I did the very mature thing. I just sat on the bench in the play area and sulked. Well, Nancy uh, discovered all the fun and adventure and had a great time. And I have to share that in my own experience, just as a man in my romantic relationships, but I would say in my relationships with women in general, I've learned over time that I'm only as right based upon how soon I can admit that I'm wrong, how quick I can come back to truth. And that wasn't about what my wife said. It was about my inner communication. Could I recognize that my wife wasn't making a critique of me? She was just stating a, a fact. Can I recognize that my wife wasn't intentionally trying to hurt me, but those triggers were already there? And so my ability to come back present, come back to love, come back to harmony, 
really involve my ability to listen intently and authentically to myself. That's how we come back. Ernest Holmes tells us, the creative law which you use is like a mirror. The thought you hold before it is like an image. The mirror reflects the image you hold before it. Hold there, then, the image of faith and expectancy with enthusiastic conviction and with undying trust. The only thing that can hinder you is yourself because it is you who reflect the image in the mirror. This isn't just the creative law of mind. It's the creative law of love. Love is around us all the time. What are we reflecting into it? So many of us, when, when we're triggered, we don't come closer to love, but we lock ourselves up and we throw away the key. We withdraw, just like I did in my story. And we have to learn to listen to ourselves so that we can guide ourselves back to love. This is most true in our closest relationships. You know, I, I can be a fan of people breaking up. You know, sometimes it's fair to say, you know, I think I could love you much more outside of this relationship than in it right now. You know, perhaps we should write up some great divorce ceremonies here at the church. I can support it in many cases. But what happens is when someone shares with me, you know, Josh, it's just like we grew further and further apart. I have to stop and think to myself, is what they're really telling me is that they never really learned the tools to come close enough together. Of all the things we can fake in life, intimacy and trust are not those. We have to be willing to listen to ourselves and to create environments where trust and intimacy and deepening can happen. That's the call of love in our lives. And that's why the second intention that really resonated with me is this one about learning to create environments where intimacy and trust can take place. I apologize to my wife for talking about her so much today, uh, but something that I love about her is her dedication to uh, children. She's actually completing her master's degree right now in childhood development, and she has this, this blog called the learningroot.com where she really talks about creating environments for children to connect with themselves, to learn, and to grow and how important environment is a part of what that is. This is what our preschool does, by the way, if you're interested in signing up starting in February. Uh, but she talks about creating environments with intention, to bring intention to every part of the environment so that our children can discover themselves and learn and grow. And there's some wonderful material on there. But when I read it, I stop and say, gosh, this isn't just true for our kids. It's true for us. When it comes to growth and creating intimacy and trust, are we doing the work that we need to do to create the environment for that to take place? And I'm ashamed to admit it, but 15 years in ministry and 10 years in my relationship, I still struggle with that. I still bring up challenging topics at inopportune times. I still so often can come from a place of reacting uh, by making accusations to my partner as opposed to asking clarifying questions from a place of love. I can still react from hurt 
in inopportune times where my partner and I are at our worst, as opposed to be willing to communicate my feelings through courageous communication when her and I are at our best. So I want to commit in my relationship, I invite you to commit in in those relationships that you hold most precious to creating those environments. How do we do that? For me, I ask myself three questions. Myself, probably better said that way. First, is it safe? By that, I don't mean am I in a trigger-free environment. But are we truly able to hear one another? Is the space private? Do we have enough time to talk about something that's deep and important to our hearts? And is there mutual respect? Is it safe? Second, is there listening? Is that sacred listening present? I don't want to talk about things that are meaningful to me if you're not willing to hear what they are. And vice versa. That's another lesson I'll just share from my personal experience as a, as a man. Listening is very hard to me because I love to live under that illusion that I'm right. And listening demands a, a kind of vulnerability, a kind of willingness to grow, uh, a willingness to change my mind. And so I always have to ask, not only am I willing to listen, but is this other person willing to listen too? And lastly, is there trust? Is there trust? And if there isn't trust, is there a willingness to nurture and grow trust? Because you can't fake it. When those three things are present, we create the environment not only to speak truly from our hearts and to hear the heart of the person that we're sharing with, but we invite the sacred into our relationship. We invite the new. We invite the solution. When you're challenged in a relationship talking about um, the state of your relationship, the state of politics, the state of anything, when you create the space and a willingness to learn and to grow, that's where the answers happen. They present themselves because they don't come by us alone. That's why a relationship is a relationship. It grows and comes out of that. The final area, the third that I'll choose that I resonate most with is that I want to talk about challenges that face our community and our country in a way that can transcend partisan divisions and the immense distrust that we see at times on social media or in the country. Not an easy task to do, I know. But one of the great teachers of this was Martin Luther King Jr. He was someone who wasn't a partisan. He was a a diplomat for causes of oneness and unity and rights for all people everywhere. In fact, in the 1960 election, Martin Luther King Jr. was in in jail, uh, and he was refusing to endorse either Richard Nixon or John F. Kennedy, who were running for office in 1960. And a lot of people argue that John F. Kennedy won that election because of his performance on the televised debates. He was so charming, and Nixon was just not prepared uh, for TV. Uh, But but a lot of people, when they really look at it, um, Robert, John's brother, made a real political astute observation that if John F. Kennedy called for the release of Martin Luther King Jr. from jail, that it would help get get support and that it was the right thing to do. 
uh, Richard Nixon, for whatever reason, saw that this wasn't in his best political calculations at the time. And even though Kennedy won the electoral vote by a lot of votes, he only won the popular vote in the country by 112,000 votes that year. And to me, that somewhat speaks to, to King's diplomacy. One of my favorite vignettes that King shared was in a sermon called The Drum Major Instinct, which he gave just, just weeks before his death. And he's in jail, and he talks about communicating with the warden and police officers. He says, I always try to do a little converting when I'm in jail. And when we were in jail in Birmingham the other day, the white wardens and all enjoyed coming around the cell to talk about the race problem. And they were showing us where we were so wrong demonstrating. And they were showing us where segregation was so right. And they were showing us where intermarriage was so wrong. So I would get to preaching, and we would get to talking calmly because they wanted to talk about it. And then we got down one day to the point. That was the second or third day to talk about where they lived and how much they were earning. And when those brothers told me what they were earning, I said, now you know what? You ought to be marching with us. You're just as poor as Negroes. He goes on to tell them, you fail to see that the same forces that oppress Negroes in American society oppress poor white people. And all you are living on is the satisfaction of your skin being white and the drum major instinct of thinking that you are somebody big because you are white. And you're so poor, you can't send your children to school. You ought to be out here marching with every one of us every time we have a march. I don't have time to get into it, but notice the tone. Notice that for King, um, it was about criticizing and challenging institutions, but it was about honoring the dignity of those people who served in those institutions. His direct message to the officer wasn't, you don't know what it's like to walk in my shoes. It was, you walk in my shoes every day, you just don't know it, because we're one. If we can learn from these great teachers, it might help us with our challenges. I know that our nation faces so many challenges today, and some say more than ever. But I often wonder, is the bigger challenge those actual challenges that face us, or is it our inability to communicate with one another from a place of wanting to build trust, listening, being willing to grow, and upholding the dignity of one another? And I would argue that the latter is the problem. We face big issues today. How do we protect our climate without destroying business? How do we make health care affordable for people without breaking the economy? How do we expose and teach people about the history of, of racial inequity and racial discrimination in our country without tearing down our, our institutions and giving them respect? How do we maintain our freedoms yet have that responsibility of taking care of one another in a pandemic? How do we honor our beloved Second Amendment while keeping our kids safe at school? These are huge challenges, but I know that we can solve them, not through trying to push our opinion down one another's throats, but by creating that space for deeper communication, which to me ultimately leads back to the central part of our teaching, that we are one, that there is a divinity with aspirations in you and in me that are calling us to a greater degree of livingness in all that we do, that there is indeed a divine destiny. It's up to us how long it takes to get there, but it is there. It is to manifest our oneness in this life.
Holmes shares with us, the desire you have to be something, to do something, is a mental echo in your mind of the spirit which always exists within you. While it is true that suffering exists in the world, that poverty and unhappiness have been the common experience of mankind, it would be an unwise person who would ascribe these negations to the divine will. God did not make us to suffer. The divine did not design us to have to struggle. God made us to be free and to manifest her unity on this planet. Spirit calls us to identify and embody that truth of who we are and to be it with crystal clarity in our lives. And the divine implanted and anchored as our hearts the divine memory of a grand love to live from, to act from, to come back to when we've made a mistake, to help heal us on the inside and our communities wherever they need healing on the outside. May we make, may you join me, please join me in making a commitment to empowered communication, to an evolved spirituality that includes all, even when it's hard, excluding none. For as Holmes tells us, if we want to stay out of hell, if we want to stay out of struggle, then we can't allow anyone to be in it. We must hold that higher truth. So let's go into that higher truth in a moment of prayer. Simply honoring that divine rapport in our hearts with that divine creative spirit. Knowing that the divine never stops speaking, never stops communicating. We take this time in prayer for what is prayer, but tuning in to that panoramic view of divine wholeness. To remember, I am a child of the light. I am a child of the most free. And so I express that light and embrace and work towards that freedom wherever I am. It's that voice that tells us that we are here to love. That indeed, loving one another is the key that unlocks the door to the ultimate meaning of reality. And this divine voice tells us as well that we are significant. That no matter how much we may see ourselves as a speck of dust and infinite space and time, that that infinite space and time is also directly in who each of us are. For each of us can give voice to the holy. We can give action to the sacred. And we can weave the message of the heart in all that we do, creating that environment for a greater divinity, greater deepening, greater trust to come forward. I speak my word for our Mile High community right here and right now, for anyone seeking healing, for anyone who may be grieving a loss, for anyone who may be seeking to live from greater love and greater faith, for anyone who may be struggling economically for abundance and prosperity. We take this Mile High consciousness and we apply it to everyone who identifies with the spiritual community. We give thanks as it is right here and right now. 
and so it is. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, please visit us at milehighchurch.org. Have a fabulous day.